Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is pretty much pop, a culture podcast, nostalgic for nostalgia's sake. Today, covering the Karate Kid franchise as launched in 1984 through the recently released third season of Cobra Kai. I'm Mark Linsenmeyer, Shotokan Karate Brown Belt as of 1985. I'm Erica Spires, casually becoming a black belt over the course of the summer. And I'm Brian Hurt, back from my medical absence last week, though I can't say that watching Cobra Kai has sped my recovery. Is this an episode you're doing under protest, Brian? No, I just want to make sure that at least someone either liked or can defend this because three people moaning about a program is not going to make for great radio. I think it's the best radio. And I believe when Mark first brought up the idea of Cobra Kai and the Karate Kid universe, I was the one who didn't want to watch it. And you had already watched and enjoyed two seasons. Am I correct? Half right. Right. (laughs) Watched. I have a relationship with this program, which is a little bit like compulsively eating something that isn't particularly good. And that definitely was just for the first two seasons. I really did not enjoy watching the third season at all. So I think I did watch season three under protest. I did also rewatch the Karate Kid movie, which I'm maybe interested in talking a bit about as well. Yeah, this is why we're here, because... The Karate Kid was so influential that it caused this long-lasting thing. For the people that created Cobra Kai, this was their Star Wars. Which barely seems possible because... (laughs) So it's their thing that had a terrible revival a decade later or a decade plus later? That sounds exactly right. (laughs) Okay, so we have to spoil this. We have to. So can we just give those folks who may not have seen it and don't want to listen beyond... Our initial reactions. What are your initial reactions to this? Should people watch it? If so, who should watch it? Who should skip it? Well, since we're spoiling it, just so everyone knows what we're talking about, The Karate Kid, if you haven't seen it, was the first of a three-movie franchise in the 80s. It was a rocky ripoff, as maybe Mark noted somewhere, from the same person who directed Rocky, involving a picked-on skinny kid who gets an Asian-American mentor who trains him in karate, and then he goes on to victory against the bad guys. And the whole point of having the show now is there has been a revival in the form of now three seasons long of Cobra Kai, which is the name of the dojo of the bad guys in the original movie, and the show centers on the two original kids, the protagonist and the antagonist from the original movie played by Ralph Macchio and William Zabka. Do I have that right? Sure. And every other actor, apparently, who was ever in any of the movies who they could find because they have Netflix money. And it it would like to think it's an examination of what happens as you get older and reflect on your life and have kids who then get into very complicated kung fu battles. I have one correction that it's actually YouTube red money. It's because even season three was done for YouTube It's just that Netflix picked it up before it aired. This I did not know. I just thought YouTube Red was the first season. 
Nope, nope. Wow. So YouTube Rabbit, I don't even think is a thing anymore. I heard some good critical buzz about it, but was not even curious enough to like watch the first free episode when it came out in 2018. But then, you know, as a thing to drop during the pandemic, when it switched to Netflix, like it's just become, it's blown up. So every time you've watched an ad on Netflix, you've funded a little bit of this program. So thanks, everybody. Did you not think, well, let's talk Karate Kid first, because I'm already getting sucked into the critical black hole that is (laughs) Cobra Kai. (laughs) So who among us rewatched Karate Kid, the original, in preparation for today's show? I rewatched Karate Kid 2, but not Karate Kid 1, which I have seen in the last decade with my kids. So I feel like I remember that kind of beat for beat. I've seen it so many times over the years. And you didn't either, Erica. So what is your fresh take, Brian? Well, I'm really glad I did, in part because I thought the callbacks, the little flashbacks, actually, during Cobra Kai were sufficient just for plot points. But to actually rewatch the movie in its entirety, which I haven't done in a while, the first thing that struck me was I was certain from watching Cobra Kai that Ralph Macchio was just a terrible actor. And he may be a terrible actor, but he gave a really good performance in Karate Kid. And I don't know if they just drew it out of him or he had this naturalistic thing that he was doing as a kid or wasn't trying in a way that he's trying too hard now. But it was a pleasure to watch him do his thing and it gave me a little more faith in the whole Karate Kid franchise, that that piece of watching the original. I think even in the flashbacks we see, like I was reminded immediately, like the charm of a young Ralph Macchio. But as an adult, man, it's just hard to watch him. It's hard to watch him try to act. It's hard to watch him try to do karate. And and listen, I don't expect him to be amazing at karate. He just looks super awkward. It's super slow, but also like his stance is weird. Like he just never really seems to understand his body. And I feel like some of that was present as a child, but not to the extent it is there now. I had actually a little argument with my wife. I was talking about the poor quality of performances in general in Cobra Kai, and she just really called me on it that, no, actually the acting is fine. It is just the things that they are required to say. This is like Padme. (laughs) This is the Star Wars. This is Samuel L. Jackson as Mace Windu. If there are problems with the script and what these characters are supposed to be doing, then it's really hard to be a good actor through that. I mean, there are obvious struggles among some of the kids to do the fairly difficult things that are required of them. The Miguel one this season, really difficult. And I don't, for a young actor, I don't know, it was not as convincing as, say, the 10 reasons why, whatever, (laughs) however many reasons why those kids that have to act so screwed up. 13. (laughs) 13 reasons why. (laughs) I was using that as a benchmark, but I guess I agree, Brian, as a kid, that it was very well cast. And I also watched the Pat Morita documentary that just released yesterday. I watched it this morning and last night and am convinced that that's another thing. You know, there's a reason Pat Morita got a Best Supporting Actor Oscar nomination. I forgot about that. That's right. You know, and that might be it as well, is that Ralph Macchio just, he's never going to be Mr. Miyagi, right? Like, we don't trust him as Mr. Miyagi, because like the way that Miyagi lived his life is very different than what I would think the LaRussos lived their life as, right? Well, we know that for one, the way that the kind of house they live in, the fact that he owns a car company. I just don't trust that he's the sage in the same way. And maybe I would if he hadn't just left 
karate for all these years and then all of a sudden he's supposed to be like this master again that just doesn't make sense mr miyagi's core the thing that makes him are all these big painful experiences in his life right fighting for the u.s during world war ii while his wife dies and his newborn son die in an internment camp because there are no doctors and he has these real experiences whereas apparently the whole thing driving the entire worldview and outlook of Daniel LaRusso's life is this event of like three months in 1984 that happened to him. <laughs> and it's uh, getting picked on and learning karate and then overcoming and winning a couple fights. Maybe a fight to the death was one of them. They're just completely different investments in, in these characters. And Mr. Miyagi also has the benefit of having a lot less to him. He's in, what, three movies? Is he in any of the things beyond Karate Kid Part 3? Okay, he's in four of them. He's in four, yes. The next Karate Kid with Hilary Swank, it only exists because he still wanted to do the character. I mean, it was something that the producers suggested, but the original writer, Robert Mark, came in. He had his own ideas for, like, if we're going to do another one, this is what it's going to be like. We're going to go back in time to the 16th century and talk about the original Mr. Miyagi. Like, if you don't want to do that, I'm not participating. But yes, it was still him doing the role as well as he had done before. But otherwise, the movie is nonsensical. I should say, I did watch that in preparation for this because I had never seen it. Another takeaway I had from rewatching Karate Kid was it's really hard to watch things with youthful eyes when you're an adult because this whole way that Daniel gets trained by waxing cars and painting fences, supposedly gaining muscle memory to be able to do karate moves is utter nonsense. And you know, without mindful repetition, it would have done no good for him. And he still doesn't really know how to fight. And yet somehow when the tournament comes, he somehow knows all these karate moves that I don't think he ever learned. And just this one little thing that happened at the Halloween dance, after he pulls a prank on Johnny and puts a fire hose over a bathroom stall and gets his, his enemy wet, he's running away from the school and he causes two cars to crash together as he scampers away. And as an adult, I was so angry on behalf of the people driving those cars. Like, what a total ass ache that is. That some little brat ran and I have, like, this insurance problem to deal with. You just, like, it would have never occurred to me in a zillion years as a kid to have any empathy for the parents driving cars in front of the school. And as an adult, for some reason, that stuck in my mind. I'm just a grown-up. It sucks. I had a similar thing in this latest or penultimate or whatever episode of Cobra Kai when they're fighting in his house. And I'm, like, waiting... How much furniture are they going to break? Like, that was what I was paying attention to. Not, are these kids going to get their arms broken or whatever? But like, oh, they're actually being pretty restrained. I don't understand how all the furniture is... Oh, now the furniture is breaking. <laughs> That's Memories of Karate Kid. Did you like this movie as a kid or... Yeah, I liked the movie as a kid. I liked it a lot. In fact, I don't know what this says about cultural appropriation, but when I was a kid, I always thought Daniel LaRusso was, uh, was Japanese. I was like, yeah, he's wearing that stuff. He's Japanese and like, because it was very young when it came out, right? And they were like, Erica, he's Italian. Like, that's the whole point. And I was like, what? I always thought he was Japanese. <laughs> well, I'm going to step in for a second and just admit that I thought Epstein was a Latino last name, even though I myself am Jewish because of Juan Epstein, the Puerto Rican Jew in Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> it just, I didn't get the joke. Continue, Erica. My brother, Sean, you guys have met him. He was on our opera as pop episode. He has always looked a bit like Johnny Lawrence and has dressed up as him before for, for Halloween. So yeah, in my family, 
we watched it a lot. And also like we had that, that link because we felt like one of our own looked just like the bad guy. I was not looking forward to watching this series. I did not plan on watching the series. I figured it was just some nice little nostalgia and that was that. And I wasn't so connected to Karate Kid that I needed to watch it. Then my mom, who actually has a wonderful, like she's a wonderful barometer for me if I'm going to enjoy something or not. She and I tend to like the same things. And she's like, I love it. And I started watching it and I was like, mom, this is bad, right? And she goes, well, yeah, but like, it's just fun. And so I kept watching it and then I couldn't stop. And I binged the entire three seasons in a week, right? So like, I couldn't stop. I still want to know what happens next, even though I thought also season three was frustrating at best. But it also moves very quickly. And I think that's to its benefit as well. When you have these episodes that are half an hour long, you don't mind if one episode's bad because you always have the promise of the next one. And usually the beginning of the episodes are very enjoyable because it's Johnny Lawrence usually getting into some sort of mishap that is very funny because he is still, that character is still stuck in the 80s while everything else around him has changed. And I find that utterly delightful. That is why I feel like people would get sold on the show in the first place is because it is a comedy, basically, at least as it starts. When it's good, it's a comedy. Yes. When it succeeds, it's a comedy, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But there's too much of it. Or occasionally when there's some action scenes that really pay off. And they don't all, but there are across the 30 episodes, and I'm thinking specifically of episode 20 of the big fight in the school. That was really well done. And I have to give the show credit for, it wasn't quite the battle of the bastards, but it was the battle of the bastards of Cobra Kai. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. The, the The battle in the school was excellently done. I think the battle in the house was completely overwrought and didn't make sense. By season three, we get to, yes, I, I understand we need to, at some point, get everybody warring against each other, but these kids are like evil now. They're literally trying to kill one another. Well, that's what I don't understand about, even from the first film, the level of bullying and like, finish him. Like, what does finish him mean? Aren't you afraid of like, going to prison for murder? So I'm glad that they actually respond to criticism and are sort of aware of these issues, the people making Cobra Kai. And so to have somebody actually get seriously hurt in season two was a good thing. The fact that it's now kind of magically brushed away and he's gonna maybe be able to compete at his former level through the power of will alone is a bit much. I don't know. For me, the thing that was very frustrating about season three, there are a couple things. And one is what you're hitting on here, which is... Why are we kind of drawing back from where the seriousness that season two brought us in a successful way? And then also, I don't need to fucking know about John Kreese's backstory. I don't give a shit. He's a bad guy. I want him to be a bad guy. I understand that bad guys have difficult pasts, but I don't care. I don't need to see all these episodes with his backstory. I have been racking my brains, Erica, to think of a backstory of a villain that I really have found enjoyable. Because I agree, what I found interesting about Kreese's backstory was not a goddamn thing. And I feel the same way about Darth Vader. And I feel the same way about the Wicked Witch of the West. And what's the counterexample? The best I have so far is Cigarette Smoking Man's episode on X-Files. But there's got to be another one, or there's got to be an exception that proves the rule. But Sensei Kreese? Breaking Bad. Not the same thing. That's a good guy who becomes an anti-hero. I'm talking about a, someone who's introduced as a villain, who then we 
then get the backstory of. Clearly, the way that they're going with this is that all human beings are three-dimensional and that maybe he will turn out not to even be the villain by the end of season four, that there is no real villain. So you guys really talked up Ted Lasso to me. And I enjoyed that so much that I watched it myself and then I watched it with my family, most of it. But I felt like by the end of that, that it was so consistently positive that there is like a secret Christian group running this that to show like a chicken soup for the soul kind of. And that is what I felt like at some points of Cobra Kai that everybody has to end up in a really family friendly story of conflict. The villain ends up turning around and acknowledging the good guys at the end and sort of getting right with the world and they end up, everybody is friends and happy. And that never happened in Karate Kid or the sequels. And so eventually that has to happen even here, that it happened with Johnny Lawrence already. It's going to happen with Kreese. I'm not sure I totally agree, Mark, because I think there's a thing that happens in stories where as we get to know a villain or an antagonist, and they become more likable, they just introduce a new one who's worse. And it just becomes this cycle of amelioration of the people we know. And then so you throw in a new piece of shit who we get to then hate in a full-throated sort of way. So Kreese may end up becoming that. They're going to just have a new person who's worse than Kreese, if indeed it goes down that path, would be my guess. No, they don't have to. This is why you end series. Let's do one more season. Let's have the epic team up come. Kreese gets defeated and we can feel bad for Kreese a little bit, but ultimately he's fucked his life up and many other people and he has to answer for that at some point. Like Johnny has. Maybe he'll die. Maybe. Although I have to say, I, I do like him. I like the actor. He's still just as scary and oddly handsome as he was back in the 80s. Like that asshole thing still kind of works for him. And then I'm mad at myself for that, but... He also struck me as one of the worst actors in the original. Rewatching that, his seemed to be the worst performance. And and looking at kind of behind the scenes thing and all the other people they consider, and there's this discussion about Chuck Norris was not actually asked to do the part, but that, you know that was a big rumor for a while that what if Chuck Norris had done that? And can you imagine how bad the acting would have been if Chuck Norris had done that part? Like by comparison, this is Lawrence Olivier that we got, Martin Cove. <laughs> Well, I'm sure he was bad back in the day, but like if you look at the credits on IMDb for him, Martin Cove has been working steadily over the years. And you just get better the more you do things. He's going to get a little bit better. And I think the same thing can be said for uh, William Zabka. Yes, I have very mixed feelings about his performance on this whole thing. I guess on the whole, it's quite good. And again, I can't separate it out from... Is he being asked to do, I don't know, what do you guys think of the writing on this? Like some of it just seems so cliche and terrible, especially with the like bad guys picking fights. The guy goes into prison and there's some bad guys there ready to pick fights. And the Asian guy who's introduced in the very first episode as the first bully is now returned and is just as annoying as ever. And he's clearly like 28 years old. Yeah, and the way that those are written, like, I don't know if there is a good way to write that kind of situation. I think the writing is as good as it needs to be for a show that isn't aiming particularly high. Even in 30 episodes, I've completely lost track of who's friends with who and who dated who. And by the end, there's all these kids fighting and like, wait, were you a couple? Weren't you? And I didn't even care enough to even <laughs> wreck my brain to say, oh, yeah, you two were for a couple episodes in the middle of season two. I don't think they're going for 
anything spectacular. I think they're just mining nostalgia and succeeding at some level. But I didn't think the show went particularly quickly. And I was watching at 1.75 speed with captions and it still felt slow. (laughs) And I would then turn on community to cleanse my palate and then 23 minutes would be gone in the blink of an eye. It just, it was watching the show was, especially season three, really felt like a chore to me. So I rewatched, there's a few gaps here. I rewatched Karate Kid 2, which because the flashbacks in that, like, I don't even remember that character. I don't remember that thing happening at all. Like, I don't know that I'd seen this film since not too many years after it came out. And there were some definitely cringeworthy parts of it, but it was still pretty strong. Am I right that I am the only one among us who has seen Karate Kid 3? Yes. Yes. So, Brian, when you said they're going to throw another piece of shit at us as the villain, so Kreese can be not so bad, that is what the end of season three of Cobra Kai told us is that they're going to bring in Terry Silver, the scene-chewing villain from Karate Kid 3. Was he one of the fellow POWs who we saw in the flashbacks? I thought perhaps it was someone. Oh no, that's what I was wondering. But they faked it out because he's like Ponytail Man. And so one of the POWs was Ponytail Man, but then that POW gets killed. So Ponytail Man isn't Terry Silver. It's the other guy who seemed a little nondescript, but was like being kind of cowardly. They keep doing that, right? Like even with Crease in the first backstory, they have that flashback and you think, oh yeah, there he is being a bully. And then it ends up, who knew? He's the one who's getting bullied. And then he turns into the bully. And then what? His best friend also does the same thing. It's like, no, sometimes people are born fucking bullies. So can we just have a bully? Yes, maybe they had a bad time, but like they're still just a rotten egg. I think that, am I boiling it down to make it too simple? Maybe. But a case could also be made that they're also making it too simple by saying everybody is so complex. Some people are just dicks. Let him be one. We need a good bad guy. And you can't just keep trying to flip the script like that. But speaking of flip the script, I absolutely loved that moment in season one. One of the best moments of the whole thing. When that kid comes in and decides to tell Hawk and he says, yeah, I'm flipping the script. It's Eli Hawk Moskowitz. (laughs) Moskowitz, I love it. Yeah, he's been really fun to watch as well. And I think, yeah, they definitely went too far and made him way too evil. But thankfully, he's coming back down now. He evidently is one of the only kids. One of my first thoughts is I know, obviously, they're using a lot of stunt people who has some experience. And he he actually has Taekwondo experience. So he's one of the few kids who actually really knew. He's one of the few I recognized from other things because I had seen that actor just in other stuff. Speaking of fakeouts... Were you aware of that little bit of trivia that the varsity jock who we think is going to become Crease but isn't is actually Martin Cove's son, Jesse Cove? (laughs) So they even got an actor that looked like him. Oh my God. No, I didn't know that. As part of the fake out. So good for them. Wow. I thought that Hawk's turnaround at the end of season three here was like Star Wars episode three level. (laughs) Like he's just staring like I just you know it's requiring acting moves that would be difficult for anyone and is just probably a little too hard for this or the direction or something but he just had to kind of stare blankly at like his friends getting their asses kicked and be like I'm gonna turn it around you know and then just now he's good again wing and the ultimate forgiveness in the bro hug the hug it out (laughs) bitch and everything's fine is just truly incredible Like, you broke someone's, like, you did some terrible things. You broke Dimitri's arm, but they hugged it out, bitch. I was about to say that, but I think it's the bad 
girl, but she's also being set up as sympathetic. Like they showed how she's caring for her sick mom and showed how Crease is looking out for her and protecting her sick mom, or, you know, or protecting her from the scummy landlord. And yeah, so they're obviously, it's just a big misunderstanding. But again, what does she think? We got to finish this. Like they hint at it in the Russo daughter's dream of like her actually being murdered. What does the bad guys actually think finish it means? Reaching in. We all know from watching Mortal Kombat what it means. <laughs> it's pulling someone's throat out so they suffocate on their own blood is what I think it means. But we'll see on season four. For me, maybe the one surprise moment in all of Cobra Kai that I wasn't expecting and I thought was at least building on Karate Kid in a non-nostalgic way was when there's a verbal confrontation between Johnny and Daniel. And Johnny expresses how he felt like he was picked on in some ways by Daniel when not so much by his stepfather, because that wasn't hinted at. And, and that was a, a new thing. But for example, getting the hose put on him when they, he thought they were square or getting hit by an illegal kick, which remains questionable whether it was or wasn't. But the fact, even he's the hero in his own story, even if he's a footnote in everyone else's. And he really did think he was the wrong party. And it was good to hear that from a semi-sympathetic character in the show. I don't totally buy it, and I think it's a story he's telling himself that isn't really true. But at least it was something that wasn't just... It was a truly different look at a situation that I thought had been pretty well ingrained in my head already. I think he is absolutely the standout in this series. I enjoy pretty much every moment that he's on screen. There's like no subtext with his character, right? He just says things all the time. And you know exactly where he's coming from. And it's funny, but also you feel badly for him half the time too. It's like he hasn't had anybody in the real world like teach him what like life is really like. And he's kind of figuring it out on his own. It's like a coming of age story for a man in his 50s, which I think is kind of delightful. I also think Zola Maraduena, who plays Miguel, is fantastic. I remember him from Parenthood. And he strikes that lovely balance I mean, he has some shit to work with in season two, also just being totally angry all the time. But he has a lovable quality about him. I also really, really like Courtney Hengler, who plays Amanda LaRusso. I think she is great. And she brings some levity to those scenes that feel completely overwrought. One of the greatest moments, I think, in season one, I believe it's season one, is when Johnny and Daniel are getting ready to fight by the pool. And she's like, do you guys want to come in and like have some breakfast? And he's like, you want to go inside? And he goes, I could eat. <laughs> and I just had like a laugh out loud moment. For me, one of the main things that's different about Johnny and Crease is that Johnny starts his dojo and he just wants badass kids, but he doesn't get them. He gets all the bullied kids. So it starts in this really lovely moment where he doesn't know what to do with himself, but he eventually is like, whatever, I can make them badass. Then you have Crease coming in who seems to be on the same page but then once Johnny leaves, he gets rid of all the loser kids who have actually built up their skills. And he's like, nope, because you're not a natural winner. He brings in all of his own people. So I think that's where you see like the big difference between Johnny at his core, even though he has been a bully through the years, and Crease at his core. Am I looking too deeply into this? Because that's how deep I got. Deeper than you should, but you're right. But <laughs> why do we care? Yes. <laughs> Why, why is this bad? I mean, because I, I, we're doing a whole episode. We're doing an hour on it. I got to go somewhere. I understand. I'm not saying, why are you saying this? I'm saying, why emotionally am I supposed to be invested in this difference? Do I feel sympathetic enough? Are these 
Like, yeah, they're the short kids. One is Asian, one has glasses that are like <laughs> the classic nerds and they were buds and then they're on opposite sides and they're like, I wish you were dead. And they're clearly not given a lot of acting opportunities or coaching. True. <laughs> such, such that you would believe the evolution of this relationship. Like the heavyset pair, they're given a little the more lines anyway, but it's all, yes. it's all still similarly after school special level tasks and acting. I blame the writers and the directors. I don't blame the kids. I really do hope Aisha comes back in season four. That's what I heard. Because what they were able to do with Johnny bringing in all of the kids who weren't just natural athletes, that was a way they were able to bring in a lot of diversity into this show. And I don't mean by diversity, by just, you know, the color of their skin or ethnic origin, but body types. You know, you have the tiniest kids who haven't developed yet in high school and you have kids who are overweight and kids who are awkward and kids who have hair lips. Yes, these kids are bullied, but they build these kids into these characters who we see so much more of and we see so much more of their depth and their longing and also success. And that gets you through all these episodes, does it? It does. And the love triangles, am I right? Do actual teens like this show? I assume so because it's so popular. If it was merely skating on old people who were fans of The Karate Kid when they were young, it seems like it would not be as big a thing of it as, as it is. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's just niche enough that does it work as a teen show is what I'm asking. I don't know. When I asked my mom about it, she goes, well, the teens really like it. I don't know where she got that info, but she's like, the, the teens are really into it. Could this have worked as a movie or a movie franchise rebooting what they're doing now, but trying to tell it through movie storytelling rather than TV show storytelling? Probably not as well. I don't think the teen generation goes to the movies as much either. I think they're much more into binge-worthy short snippets of things. I guess here's a question that that raises of what would a satisfactory ending have been in the first place? Like, it seems like what was great about Karate Kid is it had that arc and then it ended. And actually the beginning of Karate Kid 2, where there's the parking lot scene where Miyagi punches out Kreese because Kreese is like threatening his own students and hitting his own students and choking Johnny. That was outtakes from the first movie. They just thought it was anticlimactic, but it was actually like, that was apparently Pat Morita's audition scene for the whole thing. So that was already, they had two endings, the one that I was actually used and this denouement that made its way into the second film. But it is a good question of if you're going to try to be honest about it in certain ways of like, we have these triumphs, but life goes on and there are still struggles. And what does that actually mean? And that could mean, I remember hearing the reviews of Karate Kid 3, like by Roger Ebert and them saying, is this like Sisyphus? He has to win the girl again. He has to win a tournament again. Nothing has been accomplished. His life is not any better after the two successes of the previous movies. What the hell is the world coming to? But there's something about that, even though, yes. The princess is in another castle, Mark. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we need to keep telling stories. Since that's the whole premise of Cobra Kai is like what the aftermath of this is, as sort of unbelievable as that is, Brian, you were saying your first reaction is like, I hope that I'm not this obsessed about something that happened 30 years ago. So there should be more reflection. It's too bad they can't do flashbacks to things that weren't in the previous movies to actually make it more like an honest traversing through a life. But I feel like that is what the soap opera TV show format allows you to do is actually keep exploring aftermaths and growth. And they give us these teasers at the end of each episode that set them up for another season. If it happens, but we just 
couldn't possibly give a shit if it doesn't, right? So, I mean, if it just were to end, it's not like it was so unresolved. It's not quite Empire Strikes Back where, okay, we got to finish this thing off, right? So Kreese made a phone call somewhere and there's a tournament coming up. And if all these people get swallowed up in an earthquake, that's okay too. I don't need to see season four. <laughs> I think that's how you feel about it. <laughs> I think <laughs> I want some happy resolution for Johnny. That's what I want. And I think it's already coming. In season one, I was already saying, well, eventually this is going to end in a team up. I'm sure a lot of people thought that. Not, not that that's an original thought, but I like that we're finally getting that now for season four. And that could have some great comedy of its own. Just the two of them trying to work together. And also like the fact that at this point, both of them have their techniques of how they teach and they seem to be very set in their ways. <laughs> Doesn't always make a great teacher when you have one method and that, and you don't stray from it. So that could be interesting to see how they meld the two together. But yeah, ultimately, like maybe this season four will end in some sort of tournament. And I just want to see Johnny get some happiness, you know, some long-term happiness. He got with Carmen. That was short-term happiness. Yeah. Oh my God. The fantasy, the Carmen fantasy was so funny. What did you think about this introducing? It's not purely pacifism anymore because there was secret Miyagi teachings that can disable, you know, it's a nice compromise. It's offensive, but yet it's, it's non-lethal. It's so it's, you know, in keeping with the spirit, but as just a plot point of we're just going to remember the secret techniques that have never been brought up in any prior iteration of this. What I love about it is if that exists, it means that the Kill Bill five finger death punch might also (laughs) exist. And that's just the obvious next step. Crease's secret techniques. (laughs) It makes sense. I mean, in one sense, of course, it's incredibly convenient. But in another, like, we know Daniel didn't spend the rest of his life doing karate. So I'm sure there was a ton of stuff that he was never taught. And karate for defense only is a philosophy, but it's not actually a martial arts of itself. You have to be purely defensive, and then there will be a freak accident, a storm, say, as happens in Karate Kid 2, where you save the person who wants to kill you from death, and then they like you. That's what happens. That's why pacifism works out, is luck. (laughs) That's what I learned from that film. Anyway, looking forward. So this has been already renewed for more seasons. I was very surprised that they didn't just freaking have the tournament in season three. That it seemed like the arc of season three was pretty damn drawn out for what was actually accomplished. Oh, it was. (laughs) But I think this means that they are planning for seasons four and five already. And I was looking like, will they get Hillary Swank to come on the show? Like, We'd love to. Pretty much anybody that has been involved in any way in the Miyagi-verse, as they call it, has been discussed in the writer's room. We don't know what's happened in between if Hilary Swank came from Boston, her character, and hooked up with Daniel LaRusso at some point so they can expose that. Were you guys surprised that they actually were able to, that Elizabeth Shue actually deigned to show up for an episode? Oh, no, man. Somebody asks an actor to do something and gives them enough money. They're like, yeah, thank you. (laughs) And it's not like she has been just doing prestige films right. since her Oscar, right? She was in The Boys, and that's, I think, a much better show. But it's still just television, so she's clearly a working actor. I guess my original impression when she showed up is that she was just so much better than the regular cast that it did or should have really highlighted the difference. I don't know if it was as stark as I kind of expected it to be. I guess if we get... Hillary Swank into this will have multiple Oscar winners in Cobra Kai. That is crazy. 
Well, and the irony is the next Karate Kid was Hilary Swank's, I don't know if it was her first movie, but she was really young. And she's, I guess her performance has been praised in Swank, but I think that's just retrospectively because it's Hilary Swank. Like she is super, super whiny during a lot of it. Like that is kind of the point of the character. And if this was the only thing you ever saw her in, you would not be like, that is a standout Oscar winner actor right there. Mm -hmm. There are all these actors who have won Razzie Awards after becoming big and famous and just making bad movies. I'm thinking of all the people who were in Gigli and other things. And it's fairly common to get a Razzie when you're established. But to go from winning a Razzie as she did when she was really young to then winning multiple Oscars, I think is not the more common trajectory, but she did it. I guess I'm really going to have to watch that movie at some point, especially if that part of the Miyagi-verse is going to get wrapped into Cobra Kai, because of course we're going to do another episode after season four comes out. And then another after season five comes out. For pure comedy, Karate Kid 3 is way better than the next Karate Kid. The next Karate Kid is basically just a Disney movie. You know, it's a feel-good, made-for-kids thing. It has Michael Ironside as the baddie, who's like this military dude who for some reason is embedded in a school and as a group of male students that he is training like military, including Walton Goggins as an awesome little small part in that. But his motivations are just absolutely nonsensical and the character makes no sense and his group makes no sense and why they would let this group exist in a school makes no sense. Like by comparison, Kreese and his for-profit dangerous karate thing is so reasonable and... Uh, it just, the villains just get worse and worse every film, I think. I like a little bit of what they were doing with Kreese for a while, where it seemed like he just is suffering from PTSD. And I think we would have gotten more of that if we had just explored Kreese in the current environment rather than going through the backstory. It's like they're trying to explain why he became a bad guy, where instead I feel like they should have just focused on, hey, this guy's like, he's living in shelters because he can't keep his shit together. Like he's really suffering from PTSD and he has no business teaching these children because he still believes he's under direct attack all the time. Hopefully they will go further into that, but it seems instead they're just making it more complicated than it needs to be. Do we have a couple words before we wrap here about the 2011 remake? Is it part of the Miyagi-verse? It is not. All right, then no, we don't. Oh. And, and it's, it's not even karate. It's kung fu. It's the thing Jackie Chan knows how to do. So it is just that Will Smith was a big Karate Kid fan and got a hold of the rights and put his son, you know, who did a great job. And it sort of melds the plot of Karate Kid 1 and 2 in that it happens in China, I guess. I don't remember completely well enough, but it has a, you know, a similar character arc for the Miyagi stand-in Jackie Chan. And Jackie Chan is just great, so why not? <laughs> yeah, he is. It is a fine movie in itself, and my kids liked it way better than they liked rewatching when I finally got them to watch the 80s version because it was just, you know, contemporary to them, more relevant. But still, as far as the teen in my house, we got her to watch like the first episode or first two of Cobra Kai, but she's just not a fan of people just punching each other in the face all the time. <laughs> like, that's just not, there's something about, this is a family franchise, but yet we're going to have this level of violence throughout. doesn't work for a lot of people. Well, let's wrap up, unless anybody has any last words of wisdom. I have some words I'm possibly uncomfortable talking about. So oh. maybe we should save it for the after yes. talk. Folks, that will be tantalizing to you. Oh. Patreon.com slash pretty much pop. But to all the general public, so long. Thank you for listening. Thanks, everyone. Thanks a lot, everyone. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.